Um, and just before I start, I wanted to say one thing. I know we don't do um, birthdays as much anymore, but um, uh, I am going, don't shake your head, Abby Jill. Um, but there were two special birthdays yesterday, and both people are here. Uh, it was Jill's 75th, uh, sorry, 60th. 60th birthday, who would believe that? And it was Margaret Wade's 90th, and it was Margaret here. So can we just give them a round of applause? So we're going to continue uh, our look through uh, key sections of the book of Acts, and it's uh, my privilege this morning to have a look at the end of Acts chapter 2. But before we did that, I just... um, I just want to ask you a question, really. Have you ever considered just how amazing chapters 1 and 2 of the book of Acts actually are? We know that if we take Acts and the Gospel of Luke together, they were were two volumes of one, uh, one work by Luke, written specifically for a single person, Theophilus, because Luke wanted to set out in order everything that had happened about the life of Jesus, how he came to earth, how he was crucified, and how the church began. What a fantastic commitment to a single person, isn't it? We know Luke almost certainly was a a, a doctor, a physician who had some medical training. He probably wasn't from a Jewish background. I mean, there's some discussion about that. On balance, probably wasn't. But something stirred in him to want to articulate really clearly a historical count of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the birth and the development of the early church. And if you take Luke and Acts together and do a word count, um, Luke occupies the most of the New Testament scripture in terms of volume. Now, if I was ever to ask you, who do you think are the most influential New Testament writers? Or it might not have been Luke, but actually in terms of just sheer scale of contribution to what we have in our New Testament, Luke is the author who's singularly out in front. And Luke chapter, uh, sorry, Acts chapters 1 to 2, we find Luke at his absolute descriptive best, masterfully walking us through the second part of the most significant event in human history. And it feels to me that as I reread these a few times in prep for this morning, um, Luke had a specific way he set out uh, these two chapters. And it was almost, again, like um, an overture to an opera, if you are classically minded, or do you know watch, you, when you're watching a TV program that is... Um, I don't know, there's some, something like the Pottery Throwdown, uh, people watch that, all those kind of uh, competition-type programs. At the start of the program, you'll often get 60 or 90 seconds of this is what's going to happen in the program. It tries to not give away the end results, but there's a sort of little taster at the front of, um, of the whole program to give you a flavor of what's going to happen. It seems to me that Luke's almost doing that. He's dealing with incredible subjects, but he's saying, you need to understand this. The rest of what I'm going to say in this book is dependent upon this being rooted in historical accuracy, and you can trust what it says. So how many people here have done a formal essay in their lives? If you could put your hand up. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, great, isn't it? Formal essay. Usually, when you're set an essay, 
you have two things. One is a title, and the second is a word count. So you're not allowed plus or minus 10% to go over that word count. Well, obviously, you can't go over if you're minus 10%, but you know what I mean. You can't go 10% more than the word count. So I wonder if you were set this title for an essay, what you'd think. So here's the title. Give a concise summary of the events immediately after the death of Jesus of Nazareth, including his ascension, the choosing of a replacement disciple, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and his effect on the early believers, per Peter's first evangelistic sermon in full, and the birth of the early church. And by the way, you only have 1,600 words in which to do it. That's what Luke manages to do in the first two chapters. I, hadn't, I didn't count them all. I just kind of did a, you know, cut and paste into what a document counted the words. About 1,600 words. What a challenge. What an amazing summary of the truth and the power of God in human history that Luke manages to achieve in two incredibly short chapters in the book of Acts. So could we have the... With our text up this morning, that's great. Thank you. Let's just pray for a sec before we dive into this. And as we pray, I'd like you and just to ask God to speak to you right now from this passage. He's already been speaking to us this morning through Susan's words specifically. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us and you would continue to speak to us this morning. Speak directly into our hearts from this passage. Catch us up, Lord, with your heart for what you want to do through us. And help us, as a result of that this morning, to be changed people. In Jesus' name, amen. So from verse 41, Mike covered Peter's preach uh, last week. <clears throat> and this is just following on from that. Verse 31, uh, 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What a great, I mean, what's just tremendous. Doesn't that fill you with, oh God, that's what we want to see. That's what we want to experience. That's what we want the church to be like right now. So a few questions, because in a way, there's, there's no tremendously deep theological truth trying to be expressed here. It's just a description. It's a description of what life was like at Pentecost. But that doesn't mean that there's not life-changing truth in the words that we've been reading. So, a few questions. Who were these 3,000 people? I'll 
And the answer, I guess, is, do you know what? They were ordinary people, just like you and just like me. They were no special. They were no different. I love the references in 46, 47, in the first verse of Luke chapter 3, to daily, every day, and one day. And it's like Luke is just describing the everyday lives of ordinary people. And I felt that it was important for us to just latch on to that, really, to emphasize, our, because it links us with them. They were believers. We are believers. We might be separated by 2,000 years, but actually, there's no difference. They were just people, ordinary people like us. And it might be, it might be tempting for us to, to look back when we read things like that, this and say, oh, well, it, life must have just been so much simpler for them. Wouldn't it, that's okay for them. It, it's much less complicated back in those days. But do you know what? They would be living their daily lives probably in a different social and cultural context, yes, but probably asking exactly the same questions that we ask on a daily basis. Have I got enough food to feed my kids? Why am I struggling helping them with their schooling? Because I didn't do that when I was at school. Wondering about their choice of boyfriends or girlfriends, what their career prospects were, where they were living, why Benji or Anna weren't sleeping very well last night. What's happening politically? What are the Romans going to do next and how will their decisions affect our daily lives? Interesting, eh? Why do we have to pay all these taxes? Some of them might have been in abusive work situations or have suffered recent family trauma. They were just like you and me. The grace of God powerfully came to them through Peter's teaching, the demonstration of the power of God at that first Pentecost. Real, ordinary people who just heard something extraordinary, just like you and me. So who were they? They were just like us. Where were they from? Mike touched on this last week. They were probably mainly Jews, but not necessarily, because Jerusalem would have been full of um, of Jewish people coming back from all over the known world at the time to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, which was going on at the time. But if you go back to um, uh, ooh, verses 9 to 11, um, it, I think there's about 16, I think, 16 or 17 different nations mentioned by Luke as being present. 16 or nations, people groups, who heard the gospel being proclaimed in their own language. So there were people from all over the known world at that time come to one place to celebrate something they, they thought, we're going to be doing this, and they left their lives completely transformed. And I think that's, um, that's amazing when you start thinking about how that links back to Old Testament prophecy about the kingdom of God and what Jesus was prophesied to do. Just two. We could have chosen dozens, but two. Isaiah 49 verse 6 says this. When Isaiah is talking about the, the suffering servant passages that you may be familiar with, it says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore only, my word, the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Listen to this. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation 
to the ends of the earth. And in Habakkuk it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters covers the sea. And it's like God in his sovereign grace chose that moment in time to speak to people from lots of countries who could go back and and then take the news, the good news of Jesus, back into immediately 16 different countries within a few weeks. Now, um, some years ago, uh, Maria had an allotment. And if I was clever enough, I would have worked out what the, um, the name of this flower was. Well, weed. I mean, I guess it's a flower, plant, but it was a weed, an invasive. And it grows a lot in allotments if you don't keep on top of your allotment, and it grows a lot by riverbanks. And I'm sure there'll be people here who will know the name. It's big, and it's a bit uh, blousy, and it's pink. Oh, two, yes. And what you do, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? When it is ready to set seed, and you try and pull one up, it catapults seed out in every direction. It's, and, and the thing is, it's got intelligence and eyes because it knew when you were going to do it. And occasionally, it seemed to me that as soon as you got close to it, it just went poof like this before you had a chance even to get your, your hands on it. Ballistic, I think it's called, ballistic spreading like, a, you know, ballistic missile. It just goes ballistic. And it felt to me that that's kind of what God chose to do at Pentecost. Not just into a one place in a moment in time, but it was pop and seed of the grace of God and the kingdom of God was spread into to at least 16 different nations as well as the time in which they lived. The seed was catapulted out from Pentecost and the birth of the church happened in an extraordinary way. So they were just like you and me. They were from all over the place. But it says here, at the second word of verse 42 is this word, devoted. Faithful, loyal, true, steadfast, committed, affectionate, devoted. It's an incredibly strong word. There were people who'd not only found Jesus, but actually they found each other. They found each other. So it's like you sat here today, knowing Jesus, have found the person sitting next to you. Found them. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Remember that they wouldn't have had the New Testament at this point. They'd have had the apostles' teaching and the Old Testament, and that would have been it. It was many years before there was actually a written thing that they could read and study. They were starving for the Word of God to speak into their lives, soaking up what it meant. They were devoted to fellowship, to being together. You get a sense that they met together with joy. Joy. Now, I just wonder how you felt this morning when you got up. Did you joyfully come to Kings? I mean joyfully. I don't mean, oh yeah, oh, I'm quite looking forward. Joyfully. It's joy. Luke uses the word joy. We all know what joy is, don't we? It's not just a giggle. It's not just a laugh. It's a state of feeling, I am so looking forward to. I am so pleased. I'm in a state of joy. And joyfully they got together. 
So I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up whether or not the first thing that you associated with coming to church this morning was joy. But it might be something that we need to get back to a little bit more. And we had a great time of worship like we did this morning. It was, you know, it, it makes it easier, doesn't it? It's a bit of a challenge. Do you know what? It wasn't because their joy didn't come from the fact that there was a great evangelistic program or we had a tremendous mission strategy or we had all sorts of social things going on. Important though those are. It wasn't that. It was their relationship with Jesus together. Everything stemmed from them being in love with Jesus and being devoted to each other. Everything else comes from that, not the other way around. It feels to me sometimes now within our modern culture, and our, our current culture anyway, that, you know, we associate what happens, you know, in church. I was going to say this later, but I'll say it now. You know, Acts wasn't about coming to church and seeing God move. It was seeing God move in their lives and coming to church to celebrate what he's doing. That's a, that's a huge difference. Liz mentioned it this morning. Mike mentioned it in his preach last week about people testifying to what God is doing in their lives. Susan's word, are we willing to go? Divine appointments for us, things to do outside. So if we're, ever, if we're ever tempted to feel a bit disgruntled about church, about whether we like what's going on or not, the challenge for us is, is my heart set on Jesus and each other first? Not do I like what's happening or not? It's about being devoted to him, about being devoted to one another. They were devoted to breaking bread. Very, not very many weeks before, Jesus had done the same with his disciples. He'd actually broken bread, became a powerful way of worship, proclaiming his death till he comes, and joining themselves to one another. They devoted themselves to prayer. That's all it says, actually. <laughs> they just devoted them. That, that, that's the, what they did. They devoted themselves to praise, having joy, glad hearts. So I touched them. I was sat at the computer this morning, just going through my notes, thinking, praying, etc. You know where you get this, you get an email and it, you know, you, there's a little ping and the, the kind of first line of it comes across into the top right-hand corner of, of, your, of your computer screen if you've got your email open. Bissy will know this. She was on social media ages ago. It's an in-joke. Anyway, I was finishing off prepping and ping. And this came in. Colorful ways to boost your mood right now. From John Lewis. And apparently, you can boost your mood by buying a pink blanket or some purple ear pods. And of course, in autumn and winter, they'll probably be saying, settle down to winter with a grey blanket and a candle, or something like that, I don't know. I just thought it was so funny. I was thinking, I was sat there at that moment, thinking about joy, and I thought, oh, oh John Lewis, answer to all our needs, obviously. Well, not quite. What else were, were they committed to, devoted to? Meeting need through selfless generosity. They shared things. They spotted the need. Now, 
Did they sell, did everyone sell everything they had? No, clearly not, because we read in a verse or two later, they broke bread in their homes. But the principle is that they were aware of the needs of those around them and they were prepared to be sacrificial in meeting those needs. And they did that because they had glad, it says, and sincere hearts. Freedom that they were enjoying because they'd been forgiven. Many years ago, Charles Wesley said this, you'll note, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. That sense of nothing else really matters. So in summary, there were people who lived their lives every day in gratitude and worship of Jesus. They were committed to the word of God. They were committed to each other. They were committed to looking for the Holy Spirit to empower their daily lives. They were openly generous. And interesting that the hallmarks of that early, early church, as it were, were worship, community, and care and justice. So, relevant to today? Absolutely. So, what about us here and now? The title, I think, was um, The Birth of the Church, and that's right. Uh, but if we read further into Acts, um, we find the church finds expressions in lots of different ways as it grows, as it has, takes on a particular sense of its own time and place and its own cultural setting. Faces persecution and challenge, had questions to answer around how we support orphans and widows. Remember there was no social, uh, social security or social services in those days. You didn't work, you didn't have money, you didn't eat, you were starving. Um, they were trying to work out how all of that should work together. And in many ways, I think there is sometimes a temptation to think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to get back to a church that looks like that? But actually, do you know what? I don't think this passage tells us one thing about church structure or church organization but it tells us everything about how we should behave. It's not a structural thing, it's a, it's a believing thing. And I think uh, just as we move towards breaking your bread, it's, starting something new is exciting, isn't it? Did people always live their lives at that state of joy and expression all of their time? Well, I guess probably not, because they weren't different people to us. They were saying, flesh and blood. They will have found times where it was a challenge, times where sometimes that, that in, initial incredible sense of, uh, of knowledge of, of being forgiven, understanding that, enjoying that, will translate into long-term foundation of your life, the way that you live and referring, uh, building our, our lives and our on Jesus and having all our hopes and aspirations based around him. It's a bit like, you know, I, I've started learning French again. Um, I'll just try and not look at John Cathy down here because <clears throat> I failed my French. Uh, but my oldest son, our oldest son, uh, Jonathan, uh, works for a French company and he passed his French and he was 20 times worse than I was. And I'm not going to go into difference in GCE standards compared to then and now. But 
The principle is this. He said to me um, about three or four weeks ago, I'm going to start learning French again. Do you fancy giving it a go? So I said, yes. So we both signed up with Duolingo, and, um, which is a, a place online where you can learn languages. Um, and uh, we, we just started, oh, and it's great, I'm really enjoying it. But we, we decided that we would pretend like we knew nothing, which is a bit irritating when you're being taught to them, like, bonjour is bonjour. Can we meet after being bonjour? Okay, there we are, sorry, we're head against the wall. Anyway, I, I know a little bit more than that. But it's great fun. The trouble is, I've now, because I've thrown myself into it a bit, I'm starting to forget stuff I learned. Because I first few years, I thought, oh, I've remembered everything. I'm thinking, oh, now I've learned a bit more, and I'm starting to forget what I've learned. So that initial, whoa, this is great, thinking, oh, this is actually hard work. But you've still got to keep going. And those of us who play guitar, for example, or an instrument, I, I love learning new things, and then three weeks later, if I haven't actually practiced them, I've forgotten. It's so frustrating, so frustrating. Got to keep going. It's about persevering. And we can't also think about this passage, I don't think, without thinking about the cultural context in the last two years we've been through, or the impact that COVID has had, not just on the, the lives of indi individual people, but on their, all their businesses, but on how we now are approaching the choices that we make in our lives. You know, we are, there are not as many of us here as there were two years ago. And that is a pattern that lots of churches are seeing. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't get back, because, you know, if we, if we are obedient, we want to see things grow. There are people who are on the margins who might still feel a bit cautious. But I think one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, we've, we've got to be aware of that. COVID has given us the opportunity to say, I'll do this because I think I'm all right with that. And I won't do that because I, I don't think I'm going to be all right with that. And that can, be, that can weave its way into all sorts of other areas of our lives. And I think uh, in, in closing and moving towards breaking a bread, there are two things that we need to do. We need to regain and we need to rebuild. We need to regain and rebuild. Wouldn't it be amazing that once we can say this whole thing, pandemic, is over, or we've moved back to sufficiently normalized way of living, that it starts to recede in the memory a little bit. That King's emerges stronger than it was before we went into it. That it's a testimony to the grace of God working in our lives that we're still strong. We're still focused. We still want what he wants to do. And we'll do that not as to whether we agree with everything or not. Excuse me a second. <clears throat> but we'll do it if individually we are in love with Jesus. So we need, I think, to regain our first love. Keep a hold of our first love. Remember, if you want to check out the implications of that, have a look at Revelation and what the Spirit says to the church in Ephesus. You can do lots of things, but, you know, if you have not got your first love, all of those things are maybe important humanly, maybe important to all sorts of other people who are touched by it and have been helped by it, but fundamentally for the kingdom of God, they are of less importance to loving Jesus. And the more people that we can bring into that love relationship, the better. And secondly, rebuilding. So 
if we want to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, this won't give us carefully crafted programs of work. It gives us a picture, a snapshot of people who were full of the joy of the salvation they'd found in Jesus and were devoted to meeting together. And can I just ask, if you know people, as I'm sure you are, who are less comfortable with what either is going on or, or being on the edge, or be, reach out to them. Let's reach out to them. If people have considered where they would like to uh, worship differently and feel that that's a better place for them to express their, their life in Jesus with and through other people, that's fine. But let's not let anybody drift without reaching out and saying, come on, come out, are you okay? Come back. For your sake, but also there's, there's work to be done. So as we move to breaking bread, there are two things. Um, just, a can I, just a practical thing. We've got these plastic cups, unfortunately. They're grim, I know. They're horrible. They're also incredibly difficult to get into if one, you've got not great eyesight and slightly dodgy knuckles. Um, so try not to spill them all over your, your jumper or your trousers or your, your skirt. But when you have, at the end of the meeting, if you could reuse, uh, reuse them, if you could put them in the bin at the back, Mags had an, ex uh, she, she discovered a box out the back which had both used and unused ones from the last time we used them, which was actually quite a while ago. So if, we, if you don't mind that, just that bit of housekeeping, that would be great. Um, Graham, yeah, could the band come up? We're just, uh, we're going to have a, a time of response.